I don't want to make a long-term prediction, but I would say to people, you know, we might be in this situation again and diversification, whether it's um, a complementary part of your business or a whole new business idea, don't be scared of that. You know, I know people say you need to niche down, but you can niche in different ways and you can run several niches at once without compromising the integrity of another one. So, you know, and I also think this is not um, a, a, a worldwide crisis isn't necessarily a terrible time to launch a new business idea or to diversify either. There are, there are still, there are lots of people who still need services who haven't been affected um, economically. So, so there's that part of it. It, it. It's always a good time to diversify and not have all your eggs in one basket. isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. Welcome to Perspective, a podcast for wedding craves, where we sit down often with a special guest and talk about our many years of experience in the wedding industry so that you can learn from us and grow your wedding business. Resilience, probably something we've all had to learn the hard way, but let's face it, it is a never-ending battle. Whether it's COVID or the market or life, we all need to find a way of making our businesses more resilient. And we've got Melissa Love on today's episode to help us do just that. Melissa runs the design space and a part of that brand, The Marketing Fix, a monthly membership for creative businesses who are ready to get serious about their marketing and who need expert advice, strategy, accountability, and feedback. So who better to talk to about building a stronger business? This episode is, of course, sponsored by With Jack and for a limited time only, beans.ie. So, Greg, what are we drinking today? We are drinking the next coffee in the subscription. So, it, the one we've chosen out of the three coffees that we got this month is it's, uh, it's called Bush Doof, and it's still from the Proud Mary Roaster in Melbourne, in Australia. And this one's uh, Burundi Nigashiha. It's, uh, it's a natural bean, and I've actually brewed, brewed it up on the Chemex. But now that I look at the packet, um, it says espresso, so oh. it might not be designed and roasted for how we're drinking it. Oh, for goodness' sake! How's it tasting? Um, let me remove my mask and have a sip. You know what? Quite nice, actually. Yeah. It's, so they, they... It's got a bit of a punch for a Chemex. They categorise their coffees into three categories. They've got mild, curious, and wild. Mm. And we've went for the wild because we felt wild today. Wild that hard. <laughs> That's terrible. That's <laughs> terrible. Um, yeah, so like I mentioned, guys... Uh, we are sponsored by Beans.ie. As photographers, filmmakers, and business owners, we know the power of stories, and Beans.ie do too. Beans.ie started because they knew there were so many stories about the world of coffee, and not just about the regions or the varieties, but about the people behind the coffee, the roasters, and us, the drinkers. This is the most flexible coffee subscription that we've ever used, showcasing some of the top roasters around the world, bringing something different to the table. If you've been listening to Greg and I talk for years about 
what we've been drinking at our podcast table, you might get excited by this because now you can join us. Curate your own monthly subscription from an ever-changing list of beautiful coffees. And because we love you so much, we have a promo code for you. Perspective15, that's Perspective15, to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code Perspective15 to get 15% off your first order for coffees with stories sent straight to your door. I kind of butchered that a little bit, but that's fine. Not bad. bad. (laughs) (laughs) We do that ad read live just for fun. However, enough of the sponsors. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's our pleasure. We're so looking forward to speaking to you today. Yeah. And it's, you know, I can't get with you on the coffee thing. I hate all hot drinks. So sorry about that. That's it. Stop the recording. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. (laughs) So what, what do you have to drink today? Anything in particular? Uh, I'm a big water fan, so um, I, I, I get my three litres in before lunchtime if I can. Uh, mm, that just reminds know, me, I normally bring my water through here as well, and I, I don't was, have it. Well, oh, you've got extra coffee in the, in the Chemex. I don't have my water. What I know, I it's shocking. Sorry, guys. Absolutely. What is this behaviour? <laughs> You're broken today. Um, yeah, so h- how have you been? Well, um, I've been pretty good, actually. I'm very thankful that I've had a pretty okay kind of run of things over the last year and I know it's been such a tough year for everybody in Mm. in particularly in the wedding industry but you know I've got a lovely community so my focus has really been on them and that's given me something to to really make sure I'm not taking my eye off the ball because you know I've wanted to help people as much as they can to look after their businesses where they have to park them or try and grow them or pivot them during the last year so my focus has really been all on looking after the people who are in my community. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually noticed uh, an uptake in your uh, targeting ads, actually, on me <laughs> as well. <laughs> Obviously, it knows, you're, it in knows her, you're in her target audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Well, that just means they're working. They're, well, they're hitting yeah. the right uh, audience, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I've, I've just switched my ads back on, actually, that after a little break. So that's probably why you've noticed, but. Yeah. Well, they're working. Have you been doing anything new, learning any new skills during lockdown period? Um, Well, I actually had, I did kind of something a bit crazy. I, I you know, when everybody else was kind of running away, I decided to take um, one of a bounce back loan and I invested in um, some WordPress plugins. So I've really been working with my business partner on those, just getting, taking them to the next level. And so I've been very much refocusing on my WordPress roots and, just looking after a slightly different part of the business as well as my usual other bits too. So it, it's been really challenging and fun to get more involved in in the kind of back into the development and coding and UX mm. side of things. Yes. Yeah, so, well, well t- tell us a little bit more about that because it's something that I'm not really too skilled at, to be honest. Well, I mean, this is a bit of a, more, this is more of a web designer nerdy type thing, but we own a suite of plugins which help web designers with a better workflow. So if you use, for example, any kind of page builder like Gutenberg or Elementor or Beaver Builder or Divi, you can save all your layouts to the cloud and, and reuse them in other in other websites. But what my, my our bigger vision is that actually you're going to be able to, using our cloud-based services, quickly build out pages for your website really quickly by choosing different sections and then just applying all your fonts and colours with one click. We're, we're looking to looking to change the world in terms of 
page builders, but um, I don't think that will be till for, for a few more months. We've got some work to do. Yeah, yeah. good ambition though. I, I like know. It. Yeah. Oh, just just hitting <laughs> yeah. those small goals, you know. Change yeah. the world. Change the world. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's cool, and it's going. It's going well, obviously. Yeah, I mean that exact model. It's. I mean, it's so interesting. The exact model of how you sell a subscription-based piece of software is. Um, the principles are still universal in terms of marketing. So it's been really interesting for me to take things that have worked for me in my web design business, in my kind of template sales business, it, you know, selling a membership to see how well they translate to selling software as a service. So um, it's, there's been things that haven't worked. There's been things that are working. It, it's just been kind of fascinating from a marketer's point of view. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Very cool. Awesome. Just to speak directly to our Clubhouse people, uh, there will be a Q&A section at the end of the podcast. We are recording this session as part of our uh, Perspective podcast. So just be aware, if you have a question, you put your hand up, uh, we'll be using that recording. Anyway, Greg, let's move on. Melissa, I give you a small intro at the beginning of this episode, but I always like to hear how our guests define themselves. So who are you and what do you do? Uh, gosh, it's such a good question because I probably would have given you a different answer every couple of years over the last 10 years. So I've pivoted <laughs> my business and evolved it so many times, um, uh-huh. which which I think is a good thing. And it, you know, it keeps you, keeps you sharp and keeps your business resilient. Mm-hmm. But um, by technically by trade, I started as a graphic designer. In fact, actually, I started doing anything but graphic design because my parents both did that and they worked from home and they made it look very unenjoyable. They had very boring uh-huh. work and I oh. definitely... I, they made me work in the business um, from quite an early age. So I was very keen to never do that. And then obviously, you know, life happens and you get kids and then you think, actually, I would quite like to work at home in my spare bedroom. What can I do? <laughs> so <laughs> here I am doing the exact thing I said I wouldn't do. But the difference is I have amazing clients and have had and have a niche, which is the photography industry, which I love being in. And my work is beautiful, fun and, you know, inspiring. So I, I didn't choose to do the same, go down the same route they did. But, yeah. um, so for a long time, I was a, I was a graphic designer and I built websites and, um, I, I started off as a very generalist. My first, the first website I ever built was for a funeral direct directors and then a pet shop. So, and I was, um, charging, okay. I ju- yeah, I charged 299 pounds for that. I thought I'd hit the big time. So um, that's a long time ago now. And I, mm-hmm. I fell into the photography niche. I had a, my best friend from university was a photographer. I did her website. She happened to be on um, the bespoke course at Aspire. Then I kind of got sucked. I, I ended up teaching there for a few years. And, you know, that really massively accelerated my business. And um, probably I'd say five years into that journey, I was I was busy, really busy. I'd had a couple of high profile clients. I was had a long waiting list and I was putting my prices up because that's what t- people tell you to do when you've got a waiting list. So, and mm. the more I put my prices up, the more I realized I was actually working not with the people I really enjoyed working with, who are people kind of just starting, who need the help the most, who are get, getting started on their journey. And I yeah. felt myself saying to people who were kind of a year into their business, do you know what? You you shouldn't spend five grand on having a website for me. That's wrong. <laughs> you, your <laughs> business is going to change and evolve. Don't, don't book me. And it was kind of crazy. I was starting to turn away work because I was a bit kind of burnt out and not really working with always with the people I wanted to, which is when I launched the design space, I 
you know, I wanted to democratise des- good design and but, and I couldn't see people who were doing it well or very many people. Of course, there were people doing it well. But and um, and I wanted to reclaim my school holidays a bit. I was burnt out. I was juggling lots of clients. I, you know, I was telling the kids to be quiet and, you know, we'll do something after lunch. Mummy's got to do this. It was just yeah. it wasn't a great feeling. And a lot of people will have experienced that over the last year, I know. Mm. Um, but I'd I'd already made, that was my big plan. And it probably took me about two or three years to pull that off fully. And so, so and then it, since then, I've then, you know, I, I sold the templates, but people, you know, didn't know how to use WordPress. So I built a course. Then people were using the course to build beautiful websites, but they weren't sure how to use their website to market their business. So, so last, well, 18 months ago now, we launched um, the membership, the Marketing Fix, so it's almost come full circle as as I've learned things and evolved my business and taken those steps. I think I've created resources that follow along behind to help people kind of also take that next step. So I'm yeah. I'm, I'm a real hybrid now of um yeah I teach I teach <laughs> online, I lead a community, I produce templates and that so it's hard to put, hard to be pigeonholed I suppose. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So you you sort of said you you didn't want to get into that line of work because of your parents, but then you sort of love now working with the clients that you do and with clients in the wedding industry and you fell into, you fell into that. But how, how did you know that those were the right clients for you to work with? Well, it's such an interesting question. Um, Before I did that, I actually had a colossal business failure, which I'm really glad about now, because if it had succeeded in a really mediocre way, I'd probably be doing something which I didn't really love. And before I went back into design, I'd got, I was very kind of, I I was active in kind of, I was worked in hotels, then I had a job working for the school food trust on nutrition. And then I got the opportunity to invest in a, this is slightly digressing, but an organic vegetable box scheme and organic food delivery in in the local area where I lived in Brighton. So my my husband and I, bless him uh, for his incredible support, invested a lot of money. It was £30,000 into this scheme and it utterly failed it was just the wrong time to do it so and we lost all that money and I know I can talk yeah. about it now it's quite a long time ago but um I, if I was you, gonna say you didn't give us a date so that oof could have been inappropriate but yeah no I'm, I'm no it was t- 10 years ago maybe a bit <laughs> okay more, okay tw- 12 years ago but the scars I mean, are what, what if it had kind of succeeded averagely you know it did okay I made a living from it you know, I, I would have been stuck doing something that I didn't truly, truly love mm-hmm. and yeah. just something I thought I should do. So it's a blessing. It took me a while to call it that, but um, it did hurt quite a lot for some time. But it is a blessing. And that's why I think I've encouraged people over the last year to say, well, you know, sometimes you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain by trying something new, you know, by trying to pivot your business. It's o- it's okay to try something. Um, perhaps don't sink 30 grand in it off straight off the bat, but, you know, um, it, and that's what kind of took me back into design, which, you know, I felt like, well, my husband actually said, you need to actually now go and get a job. And I was so determined not to get a job. I went in with another harebrained business kind of scheme, which was to have a magazine, a little mini glossy for my local area. And to his eternal credit, he didn't go, you're crazy. You need to actually earn some money. He said, well, (laughs) how about we give it six weeks, but you know, you then need to start bringing in a couple of grand every month or you you will actually have to go out. And and, at at that point I was only really qualified to go and run hotels, which isn't very family friendly. So I said, all right, 
I can do this. I have the design skills. So I, I mocked up this magazine. In retrospect, it was just kind of a load of mock-ups in an A4 folder, but I was absolutely relentless. And I went out and sold the ad space in this magazine and like a woman possessed, dragging my tiny children up and down high streets of Sussex in a pushchair. Till I'd sold out the whole magazine for six months. I made everyone sign a six-month contract. And I kind of, at the end of that six weeks, I said to my husband, I've done it. I've got to make it happen now. I've got all their money. Here's the money. Yeah. And, um, yep. and we did it. So, you know, it published a 10,000-copy magazine, had it distributed, made the money, um, and bought myself this amazing six months of breathing space. And then I, you know, I built the magazine a website. Then the people who are advertising in it wanted websites. And suddenly I had this incredible opportunity to create and I was literally you know that kind of sketch about you know wrote the theme tune built I did everything I designed (laughs) the ads I wrote the I wrote the things I I took the cover photos I I taught myself photography by going on a one-day course and borrowed someone's camera because I just couldn't afford to outsource anything it was it was hilarious but you know that's when the websites kind of started to take off and then I kind of fell into that photography niche and you know I'd been at the point where I was going to franchise the magazine to other areas and my husband said what are you doing with all this photography what's going on you know <laughs> three months ago you were going to franchise this magazine now you're talking about this is the thing and I so I got invited to to speak and have a, a stand that was paid for by someone bless them at SWPP and I kind of said to my husband I'm going to go to this photography thing I don't even know what it is but I'll go and just see what happens. And he said, look, you have to come back with some bookings, like let's say five grand worth of bookings. Otherwise, you're going to keep neglecting the magazine business. You know, there has to be a decision point, a crunch point. So off I went, not knowing what the hell it entailed. And I met lots of people, people who are very uh, who became very influential and very helpful to me, mentors. I met uh, Zach and Jodie Gray, and I met and a few of the American kind of bigger name photographers. I met Catherine Connor, and they all asked me to do their websites. And to Catherine invited me to come and teach, and I went back with thirty grand's worth of bookings. And I wow. said, I said to my husband, I think there might be something in this. I think there might, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we were moving to Cornwall. So I said, I'm going to sell the magazine, and I sold it for the first time I've ever sold anything at a profit. So for once, I wasn't losing money. Um, and it still runs to this day, actually. But I sold it, oh. and I, I went full on into the photography niche, and that was it, really. And I, ne- I never had to look for another client again because I had a couple of incredible mentors and high-profile clients who really pushed me. So I, I do realise that that doesn't happen to everyone. There was, it was very much a fe- mm. bit of a, a, it was all about luck, and yeah. Then obviously you have to deliver really good work consistently to, to maintain a reputation. But uh-huh, definitely yeah. the start I got was incredibly lucky mm-hmm. and um I, and I do value it to this day and always shout out to those people who, who helped me along the way yeah it sounds like you, you're saying lucky there but it sounds like you've got a really good drive and sort of motivation and then from what I'm hearing it sounds like your husband's a really good sort of partner yeah. in your relationship because I think the accountability of setting that goal and saying yeah. you've got six weeks and you have to be profitable probably drove you on even more to be more ambitious oh it it definitely did and I also and you know he was at the time he was a he'd left his very lucrative high paying (laughs) managing a big hotel job and he was retraining as a teacher so we we had nothing we had no money and for him to kind of have that leap of faith in me was is was brilliant so and but we look back on that time and I often think you know really amazing things are forged during difficult times 
I was so mm. desperate not to have to go out and get that 12 hour a day, you know, late night hospitality job and leave my family that, you know, I would, I was prepared to do anything, you know, walking miles to sell this ad space. And I was delivering all the magazines to shops, 10 high streets a month. I would go with my little trolley and my kids in a pushchair. You know, yeah. I was desperate to make it work. And that desperation from desperation can come absolutely brilliant outcomes. And that's, I've found myself kind of revisiting those thoughts and sharing them with people over the last 12 months where I've said, this, these are desperate times, but if you have some faith and you take a couple of risks, you know, amazing outcomes can come from this desperate time. It, how it, it, mm-hmm. it worked for me. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming that all these lessons that you've learned, you put into the marketing fix. Yeah, the, uh, yes and no, because I've wanted to be really systematic and practical about it. Because I remember the first kind of two or three years where I discovered digital marketing. So I'd already had a little taste of it. I was selling an online product, a downloadable template that I kind oh. of, and the first few times you sell things like that, you're like, this is crazy. I've just made this thing on my computer with my fingers and a mouse, and people are giving me real money for it. And you know, it, it takes a little while to, to kind of really think this is, I can see the potential. So when I looked, it was as I kind of tr- grew that part of the business and was thinking about launching a course, I, I spent two or three years just thinking about it, researching it, you know, signing up for a million webinars, not really getting the nitty gritty information of look, but how do you do it? I bought training courses where I couldn't really fathom out, still couldn't fathom out how to do it. And yeah. so Although, yes, it's really good to share the mindset and the inspiration and the lessons. I've also tried to lay down really practical um, solutions where you say, actually, use this tool. Don't spend a year Mm -hmm. trying seven tools like I did. Just use this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't even remember. I'm going to butcher this, but the person who invented the light bulb, Thomas Edison? Yep. Right. Yep. Are you sure, Greg? I'm not I sure. I said yes, and then I panicked. I'm I was pretty, wrong. <laughs> I'm pretty sure one of his quotes is um, because he had so many failed attempts at trying to invent the light bulb. He's like, "Well, now I've got a thousand ways how not to make a light bulb, but those yeah. are more important lessons than you know. Oh, I've actually made the light bulb. Yeah, so, yeah. So I I do wonder. You're you're helping people with their business. What do you find people struggle with in business the most? Um, now, this is a really interesting topic because um, I am a huge advocate of um, doing what I call emotion-based research. And anyone who's in my membership, and I can see a few people in the group um, are here listening, they will know that I bang on about this constantly and hound them all till they've done it. But um, you need to know the biggest things that your audience is struggling with. So you can take the very language they tell you, and you can plug that back into your marketing and the things you say, whether it's in copy on your website or your social media posts or writing a sales page. So I, I do happen to know exactly what my audience struggle with the most because they're, they're the three <laughs> key pillars of everything I produce content-wise. And if you, you think about those ads you've been targeted with this week, you could just, the next time you see one, you'll have a look at it. You'll see that it relates to one of my three killers, so three um, pillars of content. And the first one is um, a lot of people, in, especially in the photography industry, struggle with mindset around imposter syndrome and uh-huh. thinking, well, who am I to try and do this thing to, to mark, to, to use these kind of big marketing techniques that bigger businesses and more successful people use. So 
you know, and as someone who's who is self-taught, I don't have a degree in in what I do at all. Um, we've all been there and, and all struggled with it. And particularly as you you make yourself more visible, um, you you stick your head up a bit and say, "Oh, sorry, it's my phone. It's the landline." It's okay. Oh my god! A landline? Oh, that's one of our listeners calling you directly. Stop talking about this. Oh gosh. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So that's that's one of the, the first things um that. that turned out to be a bigger thing than I expected but so I do spend quite a bit of time talking about mindset um in the community the second thing yeah. is um people get what I call um that um tool blind so you know they know they want they need to maybe grow an email list but you know they start researching something and then there's three or four options and then you just kind of give up and do nothing because there's too many things to choose from so they want to be told what to do what to use to make this work and why this is the right choice um they don't want they want people want less choice rather than more choice and um the third thing is time management and and this comes from a lot of people who've built a small business and who work on their own, where actually you're not really on a day-to-day basis accountable to anyone. So it can be really hard to put structures in place so you use your time effectively, that you plan annual goals, break those down into projects, broken down into tasks. So uh, and and then so what you end up doing is what I call luck marketing, where you're just posting randomly on social media when you've got time, and that is your whole marketing plan. Uh, yeah. So it's about intentionality. And if if you think about it, actually two out of three of those things are actually real mindset issues. So Mm. although most people join the membership to be told, use this tool, do this in this order, actually what they really need is a lot more kind of work on mindset. So those are the three things that people really struggle with. Um, I do review that all the time. Obviously in the last year, there's been some other things. People haven't been struggling with time anymore. (laughs) People have had more time on their hands. So people's (laughs) people's struggles do change. um, And that's why over the last year, I've created quite a lot of content around pivoting your business because that that became... uh, So you only know these things if you keep surveying your audience and asking them what they're struggling with. So um, that's that's a, a big push of mine I, and people who are in my audience know that I do ask them all the time what they think about X, Y, Z thing or can they fill out mm-hmm. this short survey. It's absolutely crucial. Yeah. I do want to go back to something you mentioned, emotional, uh, emotion-based research. I've actually never heard about this. Ah, okay. Well, people, if you think, the best analogy is um, people think they buy, make buying decisions rationally. Like, and the best example is when you buy a house. So on paper, you know, you're, you're looking at right move, you're like, oh, it's got four bedrooms. That's what we need. That that's a rational decision. It's near a good school. Um, it's got a it's got the garden that we want. It's, yes, it's got a not a kitchen diner. And you kind of go through this laundry list of yes, that ticks all the boxes. Let's go and make an informed decision about whether or not we should buy this house. Yeah. The minute you walk over the, the threshold of the house, you're thinking, oh, that can be so-and-so's bedroom. And oh, can you imagine we'll in the summer we can open up these doors and just walk straight out to the patio. It's gonna be amazing. You instantly mm-hmm. transition from um someone who's rational. And that's why people kind of fall in love with houses and end up paying more than they're actually worth because they they fall in love with the house and it becomes yeah. this entirely emotion-based decision, which is crazy. This because this is the biggest purchase <laughs> you ever make in your life. And it happens with big purchases like cars and houses where you you abandon all reason and you're you're entirely governed by your emotions and actually this is what and this is this happens at all scales that is this is why people have to have a certain dress that they've seen or a or a piece of clothing or a, or a fragrance or so you know photography isn't kind of one of 
life's essentials like food or shelter is. So, you know, it's on that scale of of how do you work out where people's emotions lie around this kind of product? So, uh-huh. you know, no matter what kind of product is, there's always emotion involved. So that's why you have to know the things that people have the most emotional um, response to. So uh, wedding photography, and I'll, I'm just going to give some common ones. It is going to vary depending on your niche or your audience, but, you know, mm-hmm. people are going to be worried that you might miss um, a key moment in their wedding day. And, you know, that might be, that's a common one. They might worry how they're going to look in the photos. Um, they might worry that uh, the photographer is going to be very obtrusive and they won't get on with them. So, you know, you have to survey your audience to get the exact words back. But when you yeah. get those words, you'll see that people, when you analyse it, and I've got I've got a little survey, a Google form, which you can just grab the link to, take a copy and send it out. It takes about two minutes. But when you see all the responses in a spreadsheet, you can look down and say, well, I can see this kind of idea is being repeated again and again and again. They are saying this again and again and again. And whenever I do this analysis with people in my membership, when I help them look at their results, um, we just take a highlighter pen and go, yep, there's, there's pillar number one. Here's pillar number two. Yep, here's pillar number three. And you see the same emotions represented again and again. And then you can literally take those words that people have said and just plug that straight back into your copy and into your your captioning. And of course, people are then, instead of you saying, I'm going to try and help make you read this copy with your rational head on, like, um, here is a picture of a wedding I went to and it was very nice and uh, it was made sense to take the photos in this great location. And, you know, that's all well and good, but that's like trying to sell them a house based on yeah. kind of rational. But if you take their emotions and say, I know how worried you can be when you are getting married in the winter and you're worried about the, the rain. I wanted to just show, share with you that this epic shot is made much better because of the rain. You know, I won't, you know, if this happens to you, I, you know, I, I feel full, you know, I know that I can build something absolutely beautiful out of raindrops. Yeah. And, you know, that's far, that speaks to a deep worry that someone might have. And they'll think that, and that positions you as the expert who they're going to trust over someone who's has this boring kind of, abc type caption on the on their social media on their blog post yeah i i do find you know we we have a similar approach with you know like for clients because we do obviously a a lot of elopements and rain is that big issue you know Hmm. so we're always like yes but it's gonna look so good and it's gonna actually be really fun being up a hill and i know it doesn't sound very fun when you're being blasted with rain and you're wet and you're but it's actually really fun and it's adventurous. And so, yeah, yeah, that's cool. It just gives you a prism to frame every single thing you post or, or make public, you know, on your website, social media, blog posts. It gives you a framework to always make sure everything you do refers back to one of those content pillars. Yeah. Okay. That's very cool. I'm just going to draw uh, our attention back to the Clubhouse listeners. Thank you very much for joining us. Just so you guys are aware, this is being recorded as part of the podcast, uh, the Perspective podcast, and uh, there will be a Q&A at the end. So if you want to ask Melissa anything, just put your hand up and we'll invite you into the room. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's continue, Greg, with an ad break. With Jack was designed from the ground up and is tailored specifically for creatives. Whether you provide a service like design, development or photography or offer advice to clients, With Jack is for you. It's focused on creatives. Insurance shouldn't be complicated, so With Jack has made every step easy. You'll deal with one form and talk to one Jack as you sign up, get covered and move on with your day. 
With Jack, it's all about bespoke insurance for creatives. Simple. That doesn't mean more forms or faff, it means less. It's not about endless features and stale service. It's about one solid policy and the personal touch. Bye bye, unnecessary fuss. Hello, creative friendly insurance. Be a confident creative. Lisa, can you tell us how we should approach building a resilient wedding business? Oh, it's such a good question. Um, uh, I think what you have to do is make sure that you have safeguarded all your kind of easy wins. So I do, and it's a bit, you know, I do see people who are leave, what I'd call leaving money on the table. So okay. if you think how hard you work to get someone to the inquiry stage, what you need to do at that point is go all out and treat them kind of like a VIP. So the first part is is definitely safeguarding uh, and any kind of existing income and making sure you're squeezing the most out of every booking. So um, it is having that kind of. So let me just let me just talk to you about kind of the components of that, and it's something I call the kind of VIP inquiry experience. So what you want to do is in that time that they come to to make an inquiry with you you want to surround them um and i you know i call it a little bit being famous in their feed so you want to do things oh, like yeah. basic retargeting so if they hit your website it triggers some um, as i've said emotion-based posts which kind of speak to things they might be worried about so they build up this picture of you not selling to them but just reassuring them as as an expert at what you do so uh, if you hit my website you'll and if if you look at some of those tar- posts you're being targeted with at the moment most of them aren't selling anything they're just saying have you thought about this or you know, they're giving away knowledge for free and positioning me as an expert. And that, that works for any kind of business. Um, and then also it's um, making sure that you are removing any obstacles to um, someone converting so that when they inquire, there's, it automatically sends them um, the pricing guide, which is probably what they want. It redirects them to some uh, really high value content posts around planning your wedding or whatever. So, yep. uh, and then ha- making, and you can semi semi automate all of that which is something which you know I teach people all the time so that Mm -hmm. but you still put some personal high touch things in there so um you're you're kind of surrounding them with your expertise so making sure you're not leaving anything on the table um that or in terms of the conversion process converting someone to booked would be my first thing so make sure your quick wins are in place uh the second thing is um and this is, you know, I, there were a lot of there was a lot of scrambling over the last year. People going, guess what? Now I offer personal branding photography and pet photography, and you know, it's it's often and this this is why this last year has been really um, really good for lots of people to diversify. And um, and I kind of I don't want to make a long term prediction, but I would say to people, you know, we might be in this situation again, and diversification, whether it's um, a complementary part of your business or a whole new business idea don't be scared of that you know I know people say you need to niche down but you can niche in different ways and you can run several niches at once without compromising the integrity of another one so Mm -hmm. you know and I also think that this is not um a a a worldwide crisis isn't necessarily a terrible time to launch a new business idea or to diversify either there there are still there are Lots of people who still need services who haven't been affected um, economically. So, so there's that part of it. It, it. It's always a good time to diversify and not have all your eggs in one basket. You mentioned obstacles just a moment ago. What kind of obstacles are we talking about 
in terms of like getting a couple booked in or uh yeah so a good a good example would be um of a really kind of concrete example of an obstacle would be you know when you um someone inquires and you send them a um an email back with a re- with like a five megabyte pdf and they're like uh i'm not going to download that to my phone so but this nice person has sent me a link yeah. to, this other person sent me a link to their pricing page which i can read right now so i'm going to immediately yeah. call them so just practical obstacles you know really thinking about you know what is the customer experience at the other end not is what is most convenient for me or i you know, i've had a pdf forever i i can't be bothered to change it or it's uh-huh. Editing PDFs is annoying and I, and I have to re-export it and re, you know, all of that, you know, yeah. doesn't make it easier for your end user. So those, that, that, so there's practical obstacles, but there's also um, kind of emotional obstacles where, where you're not addressing the elephant in the room, where you're not saying you've got very polite web copy, it's very professional, maybe you talk about yourself in the third person, but you're not really getting to the heart of what they're really going to make a decision based on. Okay. Well, you, you kind of talked about uh, mindset mm. again slightly earlier. But I do want to get a little bit deeper because I think it's maybe something that a, a, a lot of people struggle with, especially r- right now. But I was going through your blog um, and, I, and I just want to read something. Okay. And uh, So you wrote, Confession. Earlier this year during lockdown, there were some weeks in my business that felt overwhelming. During that period, I had my share of screw it moments. Are you able to talk about what those screw it moments are? Or were for you? Well, I think this last year has been quite emotionally confusing for everyone, especially if you're self-employed or you run your own business and you by and large work from home. So um, I was coping with um, lots of stuff going on at home, had the kids at home. I've got one child who missed school dreadfully, another who didn't want to do any work. There was lots of kind of emotional drama around that. Um, Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, uh, one part, a very small part now, admittedly, was, you know, building websites for photographers fell off a cliff. Um, Fortunately, I I had already diversified and had two other or three other parts to my business. So, but, you know, you still think, gosh, what if my newish membership um, implodes as well? What if everybody cancels? They didn't, you know, and I have had, I'm so grateful that we've had a really strong, resilient membership that people have chosen to see the value and stay because they needed it during this difficult time. But it could have gone the other way. So you have a lot mm. of kind of emotional worry, uh, like anyone. Um, and there's that also that disappointment. I had a business that was growing very quickly to a business that was maintaining. So you have to re... You have to recalibrate your expectations about your what your business can do during a global pandemic. <laughs> you have to yeah. recalibrate your your understanding of how resilient your family is. Um, and then on top of that, I'd also taken, as I said, I took some risks. I, I, I spent quite a bit of money on buying into a company. So I was juggling a lot of things with less time and more kind of more emotion than, than I, emotional things to deal with than I normally have. So there, there's definitely, um, weeks when it is overwhelming and you just think, I just want to switch this all off and go and live, live in a cabin <laughs> somewhere where <laughs> I don't have yeah. to teach year nine maths, um, for an hour a day and I I don't have to to try and get my children off devices and I don't have to you know cancel everything I've got planned for the next year so yeah Yeah. so yeah definitely it's been hard it's hard anyone who says who sailed through the last year without any hard times I would I'd challenge them on that and there's nothing to be ashamed of about that no well yeah so I was kind of trepidatious asking that question because you know, it, it is a kind of, it is a delicate topic and, 
even some people might still be in these kind of moments. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I wasn't too sure whether to ask it, but I, I, I think talking about our struggles will help others learn from them. So um, thank you. Well, yeah. I wanted, so th- there's actually someone who's just popped into the room um, who's very instrumental in my story, Jazz. Um, we were sitting together last summer, I guess, when we were allowed to see other people having a chat. And she said to me, you're sometimes a very hard person to help um, because you, you're very upbeat and you don't always open yourself up to what you're struggling with because you want to be seen to be this resilient person who leads a community. So that really stuck with me. So over the last year, I've made, I've gone out of my way. I didn't, you know, until last November, I'd never told anyone that that story about how I lost all that money. Um, I, I, you know, I've gone out of my way to be very open, particularly in my own community, which is a very safe space about things yeah. that, that it has been hard for everyone that I, I, I've been through really difficult times in my life, but actually it's those times that have made, brought me to where I am. So, um, and actually Jazz was the person who was the first, who asked me to build the photography website. So, oh, um, yes. way back at the story. So, and, and here she is, um, having a listen. So, um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I think I've learned a lot about myself in the last year and that actually you can only, you can only keep leading a community if you're, you're more open about the things you're going through. So I, I've been very happy to share, share my thoughts on, you know, all the things we've all been struggling with. Yeah, absolutely. And as we say, there's throughout this year and well, more than a year now, there's been a lot of moments where I think everyone's just wanted to hide away or stick their head in the sand because the regulations are changing and they can't keep up and yeah. they just want to hide away from everything. So yeah. is there any sort of advice that you have or tips of how to get over that wanting to hide away sort of feeling and try and get back out there? Well, I just reiterate what we said earlier that sometimes the very best outcomes arise from really difficult, challenging situations because situations like this put a pressure on us that we don't normally have as someone who's kind of only as people self-employed people who are accountable only to ourselves so you can either let that pressure kind of get on top of you or you can say I'm going to take this pressure and I'm going to I'm going to use it to in a good way to motivate me to push me to do better than I, I would have done to move quicker to aim higher and um Actually, I don't know if she's still with us, but Jazz said, you know, we're going to get asked about this period of our lives and our kids are. We were talking about this for years to come. You know, my daughter who's heading off to college next year and then whether she goes to university is going to be asked, what did you do during that time? How did you use your time? You know, and I, I, I don't want to look back in the story that I've written for myself this year is one where I was defeated or I, you know, I want to say, look, I took a risk. I, I. I safeguarded my business. I was open and honest with people. I helped other people do that. I that I wanted that to be the story I was going to write yeah. for myself. I didn't want it to be mm-hmm. one of giving up or joining in with the moaning or the the fear mongering. Not and not that I'm saying people shouldn't have. Everyone should hundred percent have had a good old moan. And you know we all gave into fear. We've all given into fear at various points and confusion and and worry. But I didn't want that to mm-hmm. be the whole story of my year. I wanted it to be something a lot more positive. Yeah, it obviously does sound like you just said, you know what, enough is enough and you're going to start showing up consistently to keep your business going. 
Well, I well, think I think you you have to reflect the the, the mood, and, and I think what's yeah. interesting is when the whole world is in crisis, you get this opportunity to be brutally honest, where you can say to people, because um, pe- some of my some of my some of my members were saying, listen, I want to launch this personal branding photography business, I want to launch this family portrait business, but I don't want people to think I'm just you know, a bit desperate. I don't want it to hurt my wedding business. And my answer is, listen, there's no rules during a global pandemic. Do whatever the hell you like. You know, people aren't going to judge you for trying to keep your business afloat or trying something new. You get to say, hey, guys, due to the global pandemic, I'm pivoting into doing this and I hope you'll support me. You know, you get to be Mm. brutally honest. It's a pass. It's a free pass to not be embarrassed, to not have that imposter syndrome, to to say I can do this because you have to because you're under that pressure. And, you know, yeah. people will admire that. They, they're not going to shoot you down or say, well, this isn't a pure wedding photography business anymore. They're going to say, <laughs> wow, look at that person. You go. Yes, I, you know. Yeah. So, I, you awesome. know, you've got permission. You know, the, it's the pandemic mm-hmm. permission to, to, to do something completely different and be really open and honest about it. Yeah. You would like to think that any potential or any current wedding clients, if they see you putting in that sort of work and trying to keep busy during this time, they're going to be excited and proud of you that you're still getting out there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's isn't it lovely, a little bit freeing about being able to be completely honest about where you are in the world or in your life and your business? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think platforms like Clubhouse as well has given, given you know, so many people a way to express that to help others which I think is really cool as well yeah absolutely so you come out of that kind of mindset you start working on your business you know you have been showing up constantly um just to keep things going you know or you've been pivoting your business or whatever it is what is the 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 moment where it's like okay I've I've got to take the the next step it's time to go it's 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 go big or go home like what what's that next step going to look like for people um, well, do you know what something you, you often have a goal in your mind, like, and, and initially when you start a wedding photography business, you're going to be like, oh, it'll, I'll get to 20 weddings a year. Um, and everything will be fantastic. And I'll, then, then it's, well, actually I'm doing 30 weddings a year, but I'm really tired because I'm not charging enough. So then you recalibrate your goals and then you get to the, what you think is the summit and all that reveals is another summit beyond that. So yeah. <laughs> that that's what I think can be mentally tough when you when you're running your own business you get to this fabled kind of summit and you just think well it's not quite what I thought it was going to be this is now this is other challenge so that having that mental resilience to keep recalibrating and tweaking your business um is the first kind of piece of mindset puzzle you have to have in place um uh-huh. and then you know in terms of risk I'm not Although it sounds like I've taken some big risks, I'm actually kind of a medium risk kind of person. I'm not kind of a, <laughs> okay. I'm, a, I'm, a I'm not a crazy big risk taker. So, and the reason, the way I've got around that is by being um, doing the research and testing a minimum vi- viable product. And actually, the first time I launched a course, which is where it could have gone horrifically wrong, was um, I went out to a mastermind session in in America, and I was in this room mm. and with all these very famous photographers and business people there was like 
Caitlin James and Jasmine Starr and all these people. And you know when they say never be the smartest person in the room, I was literally the dumbest person in the room. I didn't even know half the words anyone was using talking about these fancy marketing techniques. I felt like an, a fool. And we had to go around the room kind of Shark Tank style and say what our big idea was. And they were, you know, and I said, well, I'm going to launch this course, blah, 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 how to build your own website. They were like, great. So what, what product validation have you done? What, what research? I was like, uh, none. They're like, what, you've built a massive course and you haven't asked anyone about it if they want it? I was like, yeah, I might have done that. So (laughs) I kind of, I left there (laughs) with my tail between my legs, went home, did the surveys, did the research, worked out that I was missing huge chunks and I'd built huge chunks that nobody wanted at all. Totally recalibrated it, um, then sent it out to be beta tested with a few people, you know. So I knew there was demand for it only because I'd done the research. So if you're like me and you're a medium risk taker, if you like to live in the medium place <laughs> like I do yeah. and not stick yeah. your head above the parapet, the thing that's going to help you um, take that, what feels quite risky, is the research and the minimum viable yeah. product. And this is people always say to me, I'm starting, I'm, I'm going to pivot, Melissa. I think it's a good idea. I'm going to add branding photography. So I'm just going to build a whole new website. I'm like, whoa, hang on there. <laughs> so <laughs> this is not minimum viable product behavior here. What, you know, this is doubling your workload for potentially not, no, a fraction of the revenue. Definitely, definitely not going to instantly double your revenue. What you want to do mm. is build a landing area within your existing site, run traffic to that, use that to link to, see if the bookings come in. If they do, see if there's any pushback where people go, I feel weird booking this because aren't you a wedding photographer? That's when you've when you've proven it, when you've got some revenue and that's you, you beta test it. You know it's going to work. That's when you can take the bandwidth and the time to do something like build a new website. So the answer is, should I build a yeah. new website when I pivot my business? The answer is almost always no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think Greg and I have, have have done that a couple of times. Where we're like, you know, should we do this? Should we do that? And then we're doing the math, like, oh, there's only two of us right now. Yeah, uh, maybe we shouldn't do that, Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're saying sort of medium risk person, but it's more like a calculated risk that you're taking. Yeah, yeah, big risk. So there's and there's a lot of resistance to doing this. The research, by the way, because uh, people are like a little bit embarrassed or like, what if no one even wants to help give answer my survey what if no one wants to even be in a beta group and test it you know who who the hell do who the hell am I to think I can do this thing and you have to get over that you have to kind of get out of your own way and just say I believe and the way to reframe that is to say if I share the knowledge I have on this thing or deliver the service will I help other people to do something better faster cheaper will it help them progress and if the answer is yes who the hell are you to deny that to someone you know, you have to reframe it and say, people need what I have to give. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to let, I'm going to do that. I'm going to let them be helped. And I, I'm the vehicle. I'm the guide. I'm not the star of the show. I'm just the trusted guide who can help them get to where yeah. they need to be. Once you've researched, once you've built what people need, let's talk about getting out there in front of people. Like, how do we, how do we get market ready? Like, like in my head, I see this like Rocky montage, like, you know, we're, we're training, we're getting ready for the big fight, you know, how do we get ready? Well, let's assume you've done your research and you've got all your language in place. You know what people's triggers are, the things they worry most about. So you're ready to, you've got some, you've written your sales pages, you've written your website, you've got, you've got, you know what you want to tell people and, ha- and what you want to say. The question is, do you have an audience for it? So you either already have an audience of a significant size that's going to be receptive to that message, who has the problems that you are seeking to solve, or you don't. 
And this can be really hard. If you're pivoting from weddings into portraits, you're going to have some old audience because, you know, people get married and they have kids and, you know, and they also run their own businesses. So you can throw personal branding photography into the mix as well. You're going to have something of an audience where there is crossover. If you are launching something completely different that is nothing to the photography, then you might have a little bit of crossover, but probably you're looking for a new audience. So you have to mine your existing connections um, and decide which segments of your existing audience are going to work and are going to convert. And there's lots of buckets you can scoop from. It can be from your people who visit your website, your social media. You, need, you know, you can feed lists into, into the kind of Facebook universe and generate lookalike audiences. There's all that kind of nitty gritty of um, at paid traffic marketing. But if you haven't got an audience at all, um, the only other way to grow is to borrow one. And this is a little thing which um, I talk about a lot in in my membership and in my in the content is your dream 100. And this is a, goes back to an old tale of Hollywood of a guy, uh, a director who wanted to get his movie produced. So he made a list of the 100 most influential people in Hollywood who he thought would be likely to help him get it done. And he hunted them down. He you know lurked outside restaurants, accosted them, got meetings with them. And he finally got enough people to get his movie greenlit and it happened. And there's, there's a very well-known marketer who took that concept and turned it into a marketing thing, which is you can sit down. Like A really good example is um, I'm just working on a, on a new product which is going to launch. And um, so what I've done is I've already set up you know, I'm, I'm on podcasts, I'm doing, so I'm borrowing audiences that like I've, I'm going to write, you know, I, I can't reach a million people, but you know, I'm going to guest post next month for Elegant Themes and they they've got 200,000 people on their email list. I'm just about yeah. to do um, a webinar with the Elemental group guys and they've got 550,000 live installs. So I'm, I've already hit 750,000. So I can throw a few other people into the mix. I'm doing a webinar with Cole's Classroom and Shoot Proof. That's, that's another 20k so you know i'm borrowing the power even now when i've got quite a big list and my own audience i'm still borrowing other people's audiences still leveraging those bigger bigger audiences mm-hmm. yeah what about the people that they know they have an audience and everything but they're not sure whether they have the time to oh i've just lost your audio oh, there sorry. greg would you mind saying sorry, that one we, again we had a, we uh, had a call coming sorry yeah, there was a call sorry <laughs> um, what about the people that sort of they, they know they want to try and do this extra bit into their business and a slight pivot but they're not sure whether they have the time because as you say people have kids and they've got families other jobs as well how can they sort of carve out the time to do all this extra work uh this is well this is a great um this is a great question and actually um we talk a lot about productivity and planning um in in the membership and it is very hard to admit, even to yourself sometimes, that you aren't as productive as you'd like to be. You know, when when you really analyse, when you track your time, it can be a bit shocking to see how much time is really um, being used productively. I know I've done that exercise on myself probably about four or five years when I was trying to really up my productivity. And, I, you know, the amount of time I was wasting on social media and shying away from big tasks. Um, I just knew I wasn't planning properly. So, um, and I now have a system which is, um, sounds a little bit rigid, but I plan in, you know, all the big rocks first. So I have a, I have two whole days a week just solely for business development, for marketing tasks. I sit down every morning and write for 15 minutes, um, social content and I repurpose those into blogs and pins and Instagram stories. Um, it's just, 
I've looked and looked and looked for efficiencies in my business and being disciplined with my time has by far and away made the biggest difference. Um, I've also outsourced. It, it sometimes, if, you, if you've done your minimum viable product research, you've had some traction, you've got some people in who've paid a small amount of money to test it, you've got the testimonials back and you're ready to think, yeah, I'm going to go with this, but I'm worried about time. Then it's you know also time to outsource. So yeah. planning plus outsourcing, you know, and, and again, if you're if you're a medium person like me, the medium risk taker, outsourcing is agonising. You know, you've got you've always got this opportunity cost of look. I could probably do that to train someone will take longer than it would for me to do it myself. So I'll just keep doing it myself. And I don't know if I can afford it. I you know I'm cash flow risk averse. So you know what will happen if I can't continue to pay this person? And so the people who are on my team, I've had, to, I've said to them, we're going to start small. We're going to start on five hours a week. And my plan is, and then we're going to review it after two weeks. And, you know, you can have these micro outsource bursts where you, you're very honest. And I've said to, you know, I've said to people on my team, I don't know if this is going to work. I hope it does, but it's a risk. And, um, you know, I have to mitigate that risk by being really honest with you and say, we're going to have a two week review period and look at the, look at the cash. Is it paying for itself? Um, and just, you know, again, honesty, planning, breaking things down into much smaller tasks help you feel like the risk isn't too crazy. Yeah, yeah. That we're actually going to be talking about sort of hiring a VA and outsourcing some stuff, I think, on Friday, that episode is. Um, mm-hmm. But what you were saying about tracking your time and finding where you sort of lose time mm. is quite funny because it reminded me about years ago, I installed an app called Rescue Time on our Macs and Office. And I, I hadn't told Simon, so it, it's probably morally not not right, but we were fine about it. Um, so it tracked how much time it actually took for us to edit a wedding because it saw what, when you were using Premiere Pro, when you were using oh, wow. Chrome to look at social media. <laughs> so we could then see, okay, we spend too much time on this app okay, we weren't actually editing actively at this time. So it was quite good to just know those that data. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what you're saying about scheduling and productivity, is there any, and we talked about it earlier, how people get overwhelmed by when they go out looking to find the perfect app or the perfect system. Is there any programs or tips that you have for better organizing and planning sort of day and our time yeah sure and i'll give you a link to a free training actually to you to put in the show notes um Brilliant. but it's it's kind of lays out my whole um plan of attack for a week so so i have i, I have annual goals which i break down into quarters um I, I break them down into three or four big milestones each big annual goal then i stick them in a quarter of the year then i go into the first quarter i plan a kind of a quarter ahead and i break that those milestones down in, into quite small tasks and I allocate them to the weeks and I always put them in on a Monday, give them an actual date. So every Monday morning I sit with all my meaty tasks and I break them down into micro tasks that last no longer than an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. And I give them times all across the week. And I, ha- I generally have, an, and if it's a marketing time, it'll go into my marketing block, which I, I have them all. I know when those are going to be. Um, and I treat them like, immovable like I'd treat a podcast booking or a client appointment I will not move them and I have got fallback time built in I have I'm allowed to do nothing on a Friday I haven't got anything planned right. in and and so then I 
yes, there's things that crop up. I say to people, yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm busy till Friday. Can we have that meeting on Friday? So I'm really, I've become very good at protecting my time. To do that, I now use a system called ClickUp. But if you want something very simple to start with, Todoist is very good. And that's the link is to a training on, on both of those. Um, right. Yeah. So that those are the kind of tools I, I use. But I would also say for any tool that you're thinking of getting for your business, and this is true of any part of marketing or growing your business, you need three things, I think, to be really um, to really take a shortcut. So you need people who are on the same journey as you. They're at the same point. Um, so and you need some people who you can. I've got two or three people who I'm very close to that we talk about business all the time and we're all at roughly the same stage. And I find those relationships, we must message three or four times a day saying, what do you think about this tool? Or have you tried that? Or I've heard this thing. Um, so so having someone on the journey with you is really important that you really trust to get feedback. And the second thing is having someone ahead of you who can say, guys, just use this. Believe me, I've tried them all. So <laughs> I've tried this tactic. That one, that sucks. So, you know, and the, the way to do that is either to hire a coach or place yourself in an environment. But, you know, I, I, I run a membership, but I'm a member of three other memberships and a part of a coaching program because I know that I need to be in an environment which normalizes success and growth and is full of people going out there and killing it so that I want to do the same thing. And I, mm-hmm. I know I need that as a, to, to grow. So I have those those I have those friends who are close. I, I'm in the right environment, and I have a coach who's ahead of me who can say, "Who she just came back and edited something for me and went, don't do that, do this." I was like, "Brilliant! I'll use your version. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I take a massive <laughs> yeah. shortcut and use the best version that I can, I can have?" So, so and and so for any decisions you make in your business, those having those three things that you know it can really really help you. Uh-huh. Yeah. But for those out there listening, can you tell us the name of those resources? Um, in terms of, well, I, do you mean who I coach with and who the, the memberships I'm in? Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I'm in a general kind of entrepreneurial, small entrepreneurial membership called Atomic, which is very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. I am in, um, I belong to an email marketing. It's called the Email Marketing Heroes. I belong to that one. I've just come to the end of, I've uh, just paused my membership now, which was the Membership Academy, which was I was really a useful resource when I was launching my membership site for the first year. And I'm now working with a company called Growth Tools in the States, um, which is run by a guy called uh, Brian Harris, who I met at one of those masterminds all those years ago. He now run, he's one of his specialisms is helping people who sell software as a service. So I specifically uh-huh. chose them for that. But that's kind of um, a quite an intensive year long coaching program. And, and it was a significant investment too. So I, you know, again, as a medium risk taker, that made me suck my breath in a bit, but I'd done my research. I'd met the guy. I'd had five, four or five kind of calls with them. Uh, I, I got, I phoned up people who'd been through that program to see what, what a difference it had made. So I, I did my research to help yeah. me uh-huh. make that decision as, as the not very brave person. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I, I do think these resources are, kind of invaluable to so many people. And in terms of like cost, like for some people, could you imagine the cost of not having these resources? Yeah. Like I always think about that. I'm like, okay, well this costs so much money, but what is the, what is the the costs that aren't seen? You know, what am I going to lose if I don't do this? Yeah. I was talking to a member the other day of our membership and she said, I don't think I would be moving my business forward. Um, if it wasn't for being just in the Facebook group, because you're like my guilty conscience. Every time I see you recommend something, I think, right, this week I'm going to block off the time and I'm going to get X thing done. 
So she said, I don't use all the resources of the membership, but for, you know, the small amount it is each month, it's you're my you're on my shoulder the whole time. Um, yeah. You know, reminding me that actually the, my business is important and it won't move forward unless I prioritise its growth and block off some time and, and really commit to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So- <laughs> I think accountability is so important when it's most of the businesses in the wedding photography and wedding filmmaking are just a solo person. Yeah. So it's it's good to have other accountability out there. Yeah, I'll make you yeah. feel feel guilty. <laughs> come, yeah. come, come and join my membership. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going going back a wee bit to the sort of audience and once you've built your audience out there, how important is it to understand that audience and what detail do you need to go to to understand what your end client is rather than just casting a wide net? Um, well, there's two things about audiences. One of them is that it's not about the numbers, right? People talk about getting to the big number that people talk about is getting your first 10,000 subscribers on your email list. Um, if 9,000 of them are never going to buy from you, that's a terrible email list. You're going to be paying for them to sit on your list and not buy anything from you. And if you're feeding that list in, looking at their behaviours into something like Facebook to use that as a basis for an ad, that's also a waste of time and money. So you do have to segment your list and look at how engaged they are and prune it because the more you prune it the more effective it is so um but then once you've got a fairly responsive list um and i've just deleted four thousand people that was a bit ouchy but you know yeah i know can you imagine (laughs) i remember when i was you know i've probably so i went from just under 20 down to 16 um and that took me a long time to get that many people on a list it hurt but you know Mm. They're just distorted. They're not going to buy. I'm paying for space for them. And, you know, they're not helping my Facebook advertising. So what you can then do, which is what I've started to do a lot more, is really segmenting. So I can say people who visited this page on my website, I can tag them with a tag. And if they've read every, if they've read five articles about SEO, I know that's something they're interested in. So um, mm-hmm. behavior-based marketing, where you can, you can tag your best behaving customers. So mine are going to be mm-hmm. someone who's bought something. They all get tagged as someone who, who's, who's bought something. So they're going to be the people I feed back into Instagram or Facebook to generate an audience of people who aren't them, but who look like them to generate a look like audience. So once you start to segment and seeing the power of segmentation, um, it's fantastic. So I can even do my, I, I've got a system that's so deeply integrated that if people completed a certain let, I don't do this by the way, because that's not, I don't try and sell to people in my membership, but if I wanted to, yeah. what, if they complete a certain lesson, I can then send an automated email that says, well done on completing that lesson. Here's what you should look at next. You know, or you could sell them something. It's not what I do, but um, yeah. So, so that that then becomes very personalised marketing, which people really respond to. You know, when you're sending them the exact thing they need, that trust factor, that that no like trust, massively skyrockets, and that's how you really deepen relationships. Um, you know, through semi automated marketing, and and but by putting a lot in, you have to also have the personal touch. You have to be present in your communities and and create content that really resonates with them. But, you know, you can take your audience and give them what they want in without significantly increasing your workload. Uh-huh. Uh, that actually reminds me, I want to play devil's advocate ju- just for a little minute. And not because I disagree with something you've said, but just because I know that the mindset of, you know, a certain group of people might. Um, but you said one time, the only job when marketing your business is to help others feel that choosing someone else is too risky. Yeah. 
what does that actually mean, first off? And uh, shouldn't you market to people that make them like fall in love with your work and, and feel that they need to have you well, rather than saying that someone else is too risky? Well, firstly, it's you're not going to say that directly to someone. These are you're talking actually talking about two sides of the same coin. So, okay. um, and I'll give you a really good example. I'm not going to say to people, you should work with me because I'll do a better job than X person. If someone c- uh-huh. wants to work with me and um, they come to my the sales page in my website, it says, it says things like, I only build websites for photographers and I'm so deeply immersed in your industry that I know all of the suppliers you use and, you know, and this we, I'm excellent at doing this. There is nothing I don't know about building a photography website. So if you then, if I'm not saying anyone else can't build as good a website, I'm saying I'm so expert in this, that there is no risk to you. What will then happen is if they have their, their cousin's mate who works in IT and has offered to build a website for a couple of hundred quid on the side, they're going to start saying, hang on, but does he know about how I integrate a proofing gallery into my website or does he know how to compress images properly so they don't look pixelated? You know, all these specific things that photographers need, I know them back to front and upside down. And Uh often they will, you know, over time, people will go and ask the tough questions of the other people they're considering who will say, well, I don't know, but I could look into it. I'm saying I don't even need to look into it. I can do this in my sleep. So yeah, it yeah. then becomes okay. a question of, can I afford not to get the right person? Is it, I, I'm worried now that uh, this other person might be a bit of a risk, that I might have to handhold uh, them, that they're going to have to do research, it might take a long time, or do I pay more money and wait a bit longer for Melissa? Because this is she, she knows everything there is to know, and she's really confident saying that. Uh, okay, cool. So yeah. that's why, you know, in, in wedding photography, that's why you... I often kind of coach and cheerlead people I'm working with to say, you're not being bullish enough or, or saying that you are amazing at this. You, you, people say, I'm unobtrusive, I'm this. I'm like, say, I'm a master. Of, you know, I was working with somebody who's, you know, he, he does, talking to him, one of the members he does, he shoots kind of supercars, but he also does these kind of child superhero portraits and had about three other quite diverse genres and I said what you have in common is complete mastery of your field you know you can do studio setups flash you can do it all off camera on camera whatever it is you've got these incredible skills so I said you know what you're doing is telling stories and using your mastery in this subject and that's the common thread so you know we were able to reboot that into I'm a I'm a master photographer who tells the story of your brand your family your wedding or whatever it was, I can't remember. Um, and I'm brilliant at doing this, basically. He, he didn't, there was nowhere where he said anything more than a polite, I'd like to work with you. It was just like, you have to you know, be your own pushy mum here. Yeah. yeah. I, you yeah. know, I specialise at this thing. I only do this thing. I am brilliant at doing this thing. I know this inside out. You know, nothing that you can throw at me is going to phase me, whether it's a... Uh, 4pm wedding in a tiny dark pub or in, you know, a stately home with, you know, I can handle it or anything that is thrown at me. And, and it's just proving that by creating content, which demonstrates that and, and speaks to their pain points. It's not, it's not doing anyone else down. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So on, unlike websites, photographers are renowned and filmmakers, They're probably just the wedding industry, but photographers and filmmakers are renowned for not updating their website very much. <laughs> and not blogging regularly because we get so busy in the 
the peak weddings of season when when there is one that falls to the wayside yeah so what practical quick tips do you have that people could implement just to improve their website just a little bit that's sort of easy for them to do if they go away today they could do them themselves maybe yeah absolutely so the first thing is on your homepage, you need to make sure um that you that the first thing that they they see isn't um kent wedding photographer in massive letters that you're only writing for seo i'm not saying you shouldn't do that but you need to have a really visible positioning statement which says i create this for this kind of people and here's how i do it differently you need Mm-hmm. to have the beginning of that that boldness, that confidence where people are going to hand raise and go, that's me, right? So you, the only job of your homepage is to get people to take one click and go further into the website. Kent Wedding Photographer is not going to convince them to take one more click, but, you know, this is what I do. These are the kind of people I do it for and I'm amazing at doing it this way. Do you want to find out more? Oh, wow, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And below that, you need to be, you need to have done your emotion-based research. You can say, you know, if you don't want X, Y, and Z, which they've told you, um, I love to do it this way, find out about my process or whatever, however you want to do that. There's obviously ways to copyright that so it's not so overt. But um, so, so make sure you, you, stay, you set out your stand on your homepage would be the first thing. Um, the, se- yep. the second thing would be, I know, I know it's tedious, but do, do a portfolio update. And I know if you've not been shooting a lot the last year, it's easy to get a bit down about that. But, you know, chances are you probably, when you were very busy – didn't go through and pull out your best shots unless you're a very systematic, organized person who keeps a folder on their desktop for, for when you're kind of doing an export of a wedding edit that you're dropping, you know, your very best ones in there routinely. Um, a lot of people sometimes batch a few into a blog, but then don't pull out their two or three best ones and keep them handy. So yeah. I would go back and make sure and make sure you've got one killer port killer gallery, just one. You can then put a grid of blog posts targeting your niches below that. But what you don't want is when someone's got 11 tabs open and they've sat down with their partner to make the final decision on photography, they're like, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, no, it was in this. No, it wasn't that blog post. Um, hang on. There's a shot I really want to show you. Oh, I can't find it now. Let's go on to someone else. So you want to <laughs> yeah. make sure you're giving your audience. They're the ones who are going to sell you when it comes to the final decision. Make sure they've got the tools to do that. And just touching on the subject of feeling guilty about blogging. Um, it's better to create less content, but of higher quality, i.e. Um, these are a kind of cornerstone blog post. Um, and co- I say cornerstone in two ways. It has an SEO meaning. and That's when you write a really long, thorough, um, the, basically the definitive article on. So a couple of years ago, I wrote a post called how to um, uh, have a, add an Instagram feed to your website. And I, I, I started off with six different ways to do it. And then I kept hearing about more. So I kept adding it. Now, then there was about 15 different ways. And one month I looked at my Google Analytics. I'd had 15,000 hits onto this one blog post. It had somehow been ranked as the most authoritative blog post above Instagram themselves on adding an Instagram feed to your website. It still brings me great joy yes. and a lot of traffic. But if you can have to just two or three of those and then take your three content pillars and create three. And this is what I call emotional cornerstone content. So if someone, if someone books you, do you instantly or makes an inquiry when you fire back that link to your pricing page, not your massive PDF, do you have three blog posts you can signpost them to, which address each of those three emotional pillars of content? So that's what I would focus on. It's better to have three great posts that rank and three great posts that answer those emotional kind of, questions those pain points than churning out a blog post for every wedding that you do yeah yeah i feel like i've just did a kick up the butt there because <laughs> on my to-do list for it the wasn't last me no on my to-do list for the last week or two has been to update our 
sort of gallery or films page on our website because we rebranded the website and did a complete overhaul maybe two and a half, three years ago. Yeah. yeah. And we chose three films just to keep it simple and sort of keep it minimal with just three really top good films. And they represented sort of each aspect of what we do, like luxury weddings, elopements, and there was destination as well. Mm. But I feel like in the last year or so, or 2019, there's been a few weddings that could update and refresh that page. So I've been putting that off because we've been focusing on the podcast, but I've just had a cut out of the butt. I'm going to start doing that today. Uh, Yes. Yeah. So thank you. I'll add that to my list of skills, making you feel guilty and ass kicking. Yeah. (laughs) Defeater of Instagram and kicker of Greg's butt. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Awesome accolades there. (laughs) Listen, the other thing you can do, just a very quick content hack, if you want to get more blog posts out there, is I, I, I write kind of a caption, a fairly lengthy one on Instagram every morning. That's my 15 minutes of writing. And on Friday, I just collect them all together into a blog post it's like a totally painless way to get a load of content out yeah um well melissa this has been uh, great chatting with you thank you very much for for joining us today just in case for the people who uh showed up late can you tell us where people can find you online yeah absolutely so I, i'd encourage you to just come into my free facebook group if you've got any questions about web design marketing you know, we do live events. We've got, we're talking about website speed next Monday. We've got a special guest in. That's the Design Space Lounge. You don't have to have bought anything off us ever. We're just there to help. We're, we're an uh, education company. And um, yet yeah, start there. You, you know, that's what I'd encourage you to do. Obviously, you know, we've got two websites. You can check out the designspace.co. And if you want to learn more about the marketing fix, um, it's themarketingfix.co. And you can come and try your first month for a pound if you want to. That, that's kind of pretty, as low a risk as it gets as a as a medium risk taker, that's a very low risk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Well, again, thank you. People can find us at cinematefilms.co.uk. Our Instagram, our Facebook is cinematefilms. Uh, and also we have a Patreon, like I mentioned before, it's patreon.com forward slash perspective by Cinemate. We hope you loved this episode, and if you did, you can join us on Patreon, where for the price of a coffee every month, you can get access to the Clubhouse Q&As and other bonus content that won't be available anywhere else. If you don't have any money to give, that's okay. You're still our friends. We love you, and we do appreciate you listening. You can just hit that subscribe button and get your usual podcast for free wherever you get podcasts. Maybe just consider leaving us a review and we'll even give you a shout out on the next podcast. However, in the meantime, enjoy your life.